Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. So have you ever tried to kick down doors and make things happen in your life? Have you ever known what you wanted to do and you said, I'm going to get it done? Now listen, there's nothing wrong with being proactive. There's nothing wrong with being a doer in life. But have you ever come across those times where you just said, I'm going this way. I'm going to make it happen. And maybe you weren't really supposed to go that direction. But you decided you were going to do it anyways. You see, my journey to ministry has been rather interesting. Um, I became aware of my journey towards being a pastor around 20 years old. Um, I, had a, I didn't sign up for my third year of electrical school. I did two years. I was a journeyman electrical. I was going for electrical apprentice to be a journeyman electrician. I didn't sign up for my third year, and I moved back in with Mama. Anybody ever had to move back in with Mama at 20? Yeah, I was back under that regime I told you about last, last week, okay? I had to go back. So um, I, I moved back in with my mom. I was working. I was going to school. And I met my buddy. Um, we were at the gym, and I just, we were working out. And he said, you ever thought about the Army National Guard? And I said, well, no. Well, I found out they had ministry-type jobs. And I thought it would be a great experience, right, to do ministry in the military. And they would help pay for college. So I signed up, and I joined. And I found out something very interesting, something I wasn't expecting, that I actually liked the Army. I mean, I grew up with all sorts of authority issues. I've told you plenty of stories that you've caught that. But for some reason, the Army, I didn't mind the authority because it was structured and it was clear and it just, it just worked for me. And so I decided while I was in there, I'd, I'd also help other people join. So I participated in this program called GRAP, basically a recruiter's assistance, pro, uh, helped recruiters. So if I referred someone to get in the Army National Guard, I would get like 2000 bucks or some type of bonus for assisting and helping. And I did, I did that twice. So I not only liked it, I helped other people get in it. I was a salesman for them. During that time, I realized I wanted to be a chaplain in the Army. I liked military people. I got them, and I just said, all right, Lord, this is my career path. I found it. I'm going to be an Army chaplain. In fact, that's the only reason I went to graduate school, because you had to have a Master's of Divinity to join. I said, all right. Well, if that's the degree I need to get in, that's where I'm going. So I not only needed to get a Master's of Divinity, I also needed two years of pastoral experience. So I said, okay, no problem. I can do that too. So that's where I was headed. Full-time um, school working another job, ready to become a pastor so I can eventually do my ultimate goal of being a chaplain. Now, fast forward a little bit. I got out of the Army National Guard like I had to to do full, two, full, two, excuse me, two full-time years as a pastor before I could go active duty. You follow me? Good. All right, so I was on that path. I was doing that, and I joined. Um, I put my paperwork in to become an, an Army, Army chaplain, and lo and behold, the recruiter forgot about me. If you've ever talked to any recruiter ever, they don't forget about you. But the armor recruiter forgot about me, and in my pride and aggravation, I got a little you know, frustrated and said, well, maybe, maybe I'm not supposed to do this. Maybe I'm not supposed to be an army chaplain. Well, lo and behold, not too much longer, I decided I'm going to make this happen. I said, I'm tired of waiting. In fact, I literally said, seriously, 
God, I'm going to do this. And if you don't want it to happen, you need to stop me. You ever tried playing chicken with God? I did. I said, well, he's God, right? I mean, he's God. He's the all-powerful God. So if he doesn't want me to do it, then he'll have to stop me from doing it. So I called back the office, talked to the chaplain recruiter, said, hey, I want to be active duty chaplain. This has been my goal. He said, well, I can't believe the other guy forgot about you. It doesn't make any sense. I said, I know. I'm pretty awesome. I should be in. He said, yeah, you should. So that was pretty easy. So I did all the paperwork, the, pa- the packet. So it's like 76 pages of paperwork, right? Anything government's like that, isn't it? Did the paperwork, got all my denominational qualifications, got everything ready. I was headed Uh, My packet was headed to the board so they could approve it, and I had to go to MEPS again, the medical part. Now, I've already been through the medical part before. I knew I could pass it. I'd already been in the Army. No big deal. The day before I was supposed to go, Jessica was on board, had my hotel, had to drive a couple hours there. The day before, the Army recruiter called me and said, you can't come. The day before, I mean, I was leaving in a couple of hours to go do this. I said, what do you mean I can't come? He said, you're flagged. I said, what do you mean I'm flagged? I've been out for two years. I I don't understand. He said, you're under investigation with the Army's Criminal Investigation Division. I said, what, what do you mean? I said, for what? You remember that program I told you about where you can help people join? Well, evidently, there was fraud. Go figure, right? People commit frauds with programs. So there was fraud. There was a big ring. A bunch of people got caught in Texas committing fraud, recruiters doing all this stuff. So they decided, well, basically what they were doing is if you were going to join, the recruiter got your social security number, gave it to his buddy. His buddy entered it in, and his buddy said he recruited him, and he didn't. So there was like hundreds of thousands of dollars fraud. So the army said, well, if a couple have committed fraud, everybody must have did it, Right? So here's a quote from CBS, um, CBS article, said in 2012, the Army canceled the recruiting assistant program and set up a special unit of 60 full-time agents to investigate every one of those 105,000 soldiers who received a bonus. I was one of those 105,000 soldiers. I participated So I had a massive reality check. For one, I told God, you better stop me. I never thought with the the influence of federal charges against, like, I was like, would you have saw that coming? I didn't. But I was was scared, not not about the investigation. I could care less about that. I knew the people. They worked for me. I didn't commit fraud. No big deal. What shook me was I said, Lord, I'm doing this unless you stop me. And I never considered how he may do that. I never considered what he really wanted. I wanted to do things my way. You see, I tell you this rather long story because of the smoke screen I put up in life. In reality, there was two things going on. But there's a great smoke screen you can do in America. If you talk about ministry in the military, everybody just thinks you're amazing. They're just like, wow, what a patriot. How self-sacrificial I'm like, I know, I'm pretty awesome, right? I should join. Like, you can put up this big thing, military ministry, you put them together, nobody questions your motives. But in reality, what was actually going on is I was focused on my will. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I liked the military. I was good at it. My personality fit. You got to move all the time. You got paid to shoot guns. I couldn't have done that at Chaplin, but I mean, you got paid to do crazy stuff. And so I wanted to do that. I wanted to go have fun. 
But then secondly, I wanted the comfort. I mean, TRICARE insurance is pretty awesome. If anybody's starting a family now, you know your health insurance costs more than your mortgage, right? It's crazy to have a full-blown retirement in 20 years, to have medical coverage. I said, boy, I just want the comfort. Remember, I grew up in Northern Virginia with the Pentagon, Quantico, and all up there with all the brass and all all the armed officers. I said, man, I want to live like that. I want to retire like that. See, my true motives wasn't ministry. My true motives was my will and comfort. Well, there's a little bit of that in all of us, isn't there? There's a little bit of us, a little bit in all of us that wants to do our will, wanting our plans, making directions and plans and paths and all these ideas that we want done. And then we just say, hey, God, I'm going this way and I need you to bless me on the way. And then we get really frustrated when it doesn't work out. We love our comfort, don't we? Come on now. We have air-conditioned seats now in America. I mean, it is getting crazy with the comfort we have. Our vehicles have air-conditioned seats. Did anybody see that coming 30 years ago? All right, some of you are like, I just got AC in my house last year. People have air-conditioned seats. Yes, we love our comfort. But have we consulted God about these nice, luxurious things that we crave? You see, what I learned, and maybe you haven't learned, so I'm glad you're here today. What I've learned is that God is not concerned about my plans and my comfort. God's primary motives for my life is not focused on my plans and my comfort. But those are two things that drive the American dream, aren't they? Weren't we all told we can do whatever we want, whenever you want? Just go for it. Buy whatever you want. Holidays are coming around, aren't they? Buy now, paid, maybe later, maybe not. Who knows? We're consumed with these things. And today, James is going to deal a death blow to the American dream. This idea of being a self-made person, someone who has it all figured out, living in the comfort of their own riches and luxury, James is going to call us out and say, listen, that is not the goal for a follower of Jesus Christ. These things should not be your motivation in life at all. See, if you're planning your life out, if you want to achieve the American dream, or even if you already have and you're living it now, James is talking to you. He's talking to me. He's saying all those amazing plans you made in that comfort. He says, let's talk about it. Here's a spoiler alert where we're going. If you want a comfortable, luxurious life, Christianity is not for you. Maybe some other religion, maybe some other new age philosophy. But being comfortable and self-centered may be the American dream. But it's the Christian nightmare. It's not what we're called to do at all. Let me show you what James says. And by the way, if you thought his other sermons were rough, today's really rough, so I'm glad you're here. James 4.13. He said, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. This is when we all need to lean in and start taking notes. Don't let the business part, you know, catch you off guard. Say, well, I don't own a business. I don't go on business trips. He's not talking to me. Don't get caught off by that. He's just using an example. Notice how he says, we're going to go to this city or that city. 
not being very specific, is he? He's just giving an example. He's just saying anybody who has to deal with the complexities of the options of life, the complexities of the options of life. Have you ever realized how many options we have today? Do you know how overwhelming that can be? Right, that's what he's talking about. If you got all these options, we've talked about it. Busyness means you're rich. We've talked about that before. So if you're a busy person, you're rich. He's going to talk to us in a little bit too. But he's saying, hey, the complexity is trying to plan everything out, trying to figure everything out, saying, you got all these plans and all this stuff figured in. This is for you. Now, is planning bad? Let's say up front, no. But rather being self-centered is wrong. Confessing there's a God, but living as if there isn't is the problem. Coming to church on Sunday and living the rest of the week as if God's not there, uninvolved, and doesn't care. That's the problem. That's who James is talking to. We have all these plans. We have all these ideas. He says, okay, so now listen, you who say you have all this stuff to do. Look at verse 14. He says, why? Why do you plan? What's the point? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Why do you make all these plans? You're so caught up being busy. You can't predict what's going to even happen. Think back to the end of 2019. All of your plans got rocked for 2020, didn't they? All right, James says, why do you you live like that? Thinking you got it all figured out. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't have this stuff figured out. He reminds us as if we probably don't need a lot of reminding right now coming on the the end of the pandemic, but the uncertainty of life. We're not as good as predicting things as we think we are. So he reminds us of that. Then he says this, continue, he says, why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. He says, what is your life? You were just a mist or a vapor in the King James used to say. You were just a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. That's not a big pep talk, is it? You can do anything. You should just a mist, just a vapor. You're going to be here and be gone just like that. So not only is life uncertain, life is brief. We're not here that long. In the grand scheme of the world, we're not going to be remembered. Most of us will not be remembered after three generations. You're not here that long. Your life is very fragile. You're here one minute and gone the next. See, rather than just spending our lives, we need to invest into the internal. We're just merely vapors. So James is bringing up the things we're aware of, the complexities of life, the uncertainty of life, the briefness of life, which should remind all of us, each and every one of us, every minute we have here is owed to God. Every minute we have on this earth is owed to God. James is bringing us down. He's knocking us down from the arrogance and pride and the self-centeredness we all like to live in. He's saying, really? Look what he says in verse 15. Instead of living like that, he said, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. Now, let's make sense of what James is saying here because it looks like all we have to do is say this phrase and then we're good. right? If I just attach this phrase to the beginning of all my plans and it must be God ordained, but as always, remember, James is worried about our heart. Let's understand, if we're saying, if it's the Lord will, first means that what we're planning cannot be contrary to the will of God. If what we're planning, if we're saying, if it's the Lord's will, we automatically know it can't be the Lord's will if what we're planning or what we're doing is sin. 
or if we're making plans outside of God's will, and we know what those are. We know those things we shouldn't be doing. If we're making things outside of his will, then it cannot be his will. Automatically catches us to say, okay, what's really going on? Because did you know as Christians, you and I, we are declaring to be the people of God. You're saying, I follow the God of the Bible through the Son, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, through the power of his Holy Spirit. If we're claiming allegiance to God, if we're claiming allegiance to Jesus, then shouldn't we be concerned with his will for our life? With his direction and his plans? James says, of course. Instead, you should be focused on God's will. It's like working for a company and not be interested in any of the work they want you to do. It just doesn't make sense. You see, God has revealed his will to all of us, his general will. The general will he has for each and every one of us is a growing relationship between you and him. God wants you to know him. He wants you to be close to him. He desires intimacy with you. What length will he go to get that intimacy? Look at the cross. The death of Jesus Christ has brought intimacy available to you. God has given you that to separate that sin, to fix that sin problem, that separation. He's brought that to you so you can know him and get to know him. His goal for you is for you to know him on a deep, intimate level. His plan for all of us is that. And then the extra stuff, the, the, the next level stuff, the what specific career, or what specific job, that comes after you get to know him. Does that make sense? His first thing is for you to know him, to have intimacy with him, to have that grown relationship with him. And those next steps come later. Look at what Paul says in Romans 12 too. Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You and me, we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind, by Jesus Christ, by his word, by his people, by our praising. All of that should make us intimate with him, and he will reveal more and more to us. He says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing, perfect will. Doing the things of this world, being like the world, is not what God desires for you or for me. He wants to seek him, to know him, be transformed, and then we will find out the specifics in a relationship with God, that relationship you want to strengthen and you want to deepen. And then he'll reveal a step at a time. And that's what I know you and me, we don't like. We want to be independent, don't we? We want to be masters of our fate. We want to chart the course. We want to do this all on our own. To which the whole biblical message says you, you can't. You're not supposed to. You weren't designed to be a God. I know you want to act like it. I know you want to live like it, but, but you're not. You need me, God says. So we have this dependent relationship where we need to seek him daily to find out daily our next step and our next choice. It's that intimacy, that closeness that God desires. So Jane tells us that our attitudes to the future must be about his will. We need to surrender to him first and foremost, realizing that we owe it to all him anyways. So when we plan and we think about the future, do we live as if God is God? Or do we live as if God is here at the church somehow and then we're out there just doing our own thing? Because he comes to verse 16, he says this, As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. You're just excited about the things you have planned and the goals you have done. And all you, 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 self-centered. Instead of thinking and praying and asking God about any of it, you're just boasting about what you want to do. He said, all such boasting is evil. 
If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. The situation is they're just boasting and bragging about all their plans and all their businesses and all their opportunities. and just, They're just boasting and bragging about all the stuff they got going on. James says, you're missing what the Lord's doing. And then he catches us on that thing because we think sin is the things we do wrong. But James lets us know, no, sin isn't just doing something wrong. It's also not doing what you know you should be doing. That's a whole different thing, isn't it? He'll, I'll show you why he's concerned about that. So for you, when was the last time you actually sought God's will for your life? When was the last time you asked him and said, Lord, what is it you want me to do? What do you have plans for my career, for my retirement, for golf today or whatever? When was the last time you sought his plans for your life? Are you becoming more like him? Do you have sin that's stalling your relationship with them? Is there that thing you know you need to do, but you just don't want to do it, and you know it's stalling your relationship, and you got to get rid of that sin, but you don't want to let it go? Listen, we've all been there. Let it go. Repent and submit to him. And I know this is uncomfortable, but you and me, we seek comfort Living by faith means we don't know. Living by faith means we need him to show up. Living by faith means it's uncomfortable and it's scary. Living in comfort, that's the exact opposite, isn't it? So he has something to say about those of us who like our comfort. Look at what he says. Now listen, you rich people. Yeah, if you're busy, you're rich. We'll just leave it at that. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. It gets worse. I'm just letting you know. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that's coming on you. Now James is about to speak into the future of those rich people. We don't know exactly the audience he's speaking to. This is one of those times that we lean in, we listen. If it applies, deal with it. If it's not applicable to you, move on to the next thing because there'll be plenty in here to work through. Look at what he says, verse 2. He says, your wealth has rotted and moss has eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. You have hoarded wealth. Kept it all for yourself in the last days. So James is saying your wealth will amount to nothing. You see, although they're storing up wealth, James is saying, your wealth. He's looking at the future. He said, look, you have it all now, but let me show you what's going to happen, where it's going to go, what's going to end up. He said, all your wealth is going to corrode, to which we all say, listen, gold and silver don't corrode. That's why they're valuable. James, you just don't know science. He's like, no, no, you don't know God. All of your stuff in comparison with who he is will corrode, will amount to nothing. The mental picture I have here is, remember where Paul says all of our works will be tested by fire? Some will be burnt up. Some of it will make it through. Those self-centered things we did will be burnt up, amount to ashes. This is that corrosion. He's saying that corrosion, all that stuff you have when you stand before God, all that worthless stuff that was your idol, that he just is good. It means nothing. All that corroded stuff will testify against how much you wasted 
when it could have been used for something much better. That corrosion, that ash will testify. It will testify to the good you could have done, but yet you chose to hoard. It's kind of rough, isn't it? But he says their wealth has eaten their flesh. Where is it at? Eaten your flesh. He's talking about their wealth has corrupted their character. Has eaten their flesh like fire. Remember, money is not sinful, but the love of money is the root of all evil, Paul says. And the Bible has plenty of wealthy people in it. You can read for yourself, and we can see that wealth can corrode and erode character very quickly. It can destroy your life. We could turn on the news, and there's another story about another rich person doing something crazy. You see, the rich, James is saying, place their security in money. But James has already reminded us that, listen, life is too short. Your money, when you stand before God, will not amount to anything. See, God's not going to be measuring our bank account, our Bitcoin, our gold. He doesn't care. It doesn't impress him. Remember the rich parable or the, the parable of the rich man in Luke chapter 12? Remember the man who had such great crops he had to tear down his barn and bigger build, a, build a bigger barn? That's a tongue twister, isn't it? Build a bigger barn for all his excess grain and just kept it all to himself. Do you remember what happened to him? It's Luke chapter 12. You should read it. Look at what God says. But God said to him, you fool. Just wanted to keep it all. You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself. You spend all this time hoarding and keeping, and you can't take any of it with you. Look at verse 21. This is how it will be. This is Jesus talking. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Listen, whatever else this section means, it at least means this. This man was called a fool and then had to stand before God. Right? I mean, that should shock you a little bit. That's what he's hoarding and keeping. Trusting in the wealth to provide security is a silly thing because your life is a little vapor. You're going to be gone like that one day and stand before God himself. And he has three charges this group was specifically doing, James does. Let's continue. He says, look, the wages you have failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord all Mighty. So a specific charge against this roots group is they weren't taking care of the people they were supposed to. The people who did work, they were withholding their wages. They weren't taking care of them. They treated, how they treated others with their money will testify against them. Look at verse 5. This one rocked me. Let's read it slowly. He says, you have lived, second charge, you have lived on this earth in luxury, luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. I'm going to read one more time, then we'll go over it. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. So they're using their wealth for themselves. They're using the wealth to luxury, self-indulgence, get the fine things in life. But you see, a sheep that was slaughtered before a meal or for a sacrifice, they were fattened up, right? So if we were going to, we knew this sheep was going to be used for dinner in a couple of weeks, we just fattened that sheep up to have a bigger meal, to have a healthier meal. If it was a sacrifice, it would be a great sacrifice because of how big this sheep was. Not a little skinny thing. We're going to fatten it up. We're going to overfeed it. 
James is saying all that luxury and self-indulgence is simply fattening you up, fatting you up for your own destruction. Well, that's uncomfortable, isn't it? You're just making yourself overbloated and fat for your own destruction. Like simple sheep, we're eating to our own demise. Just eating and eating, going, man, that stuff, what's coming for you isn't good. You see, comfort and self-indulgence isn't a Christian thing. Being generous, taking care of the poor, using resources to help people in need, that's a Christian thing. Next charge against them, verse 6. He says, you have condemned and murdered the innocent ones who is not opposing you. Rather than helping those in need, rather than lifting up, rather than helping people eat and all the other things you can do with your finances, they're actually harming those who weren't even opposing them. Remember we learned in verse 17? It says this, if anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's a sin for them. That's what's going on here. They're in action. They're in action. The things they could do, but they're choosing not to do because they want the luxury and the self-indulgence. They're in action. Is being used against them. Their luxurious, their luxurious living is causing harm because they could have used it to help other people, to lift other people up. We're not going to be held accountable for only what we do, but also what we don't do. You see, the American dream is about chasing our dreams and careers and doing the things we want to do. It includes money, retirement, savings, all the good stuff. And James says, listen, none of that stuff is worth chasing. None of that stuff's going to amount to what you want it to amount to. You won't find satisfaction in those things. In fact, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. It says the riches you're chasing, you can't trust that. If we think 2008's bad, wait till we stand before the Lord and see the depreciation of our stuff. It will amount to nothing. So what does this mean for us? What do we do? What's our next steps? Well, first, live for the Lord. Live for Jesus Christ. And I mean that truly, wholeheartedly live for Jesus Christ. Follow him. Allow his scheduling and allow his planning to take priority in your life. I mean, think about it, folks. We're so busy. Even if God asked us to do something, we would say no. Why? Because we got another thing to go to. We have no schedule. We have no time left to even hear from God. A lot of the reasons why we don't ask God what to do is because we don't want to know, do we? We already got a plan, Lord. I'm busy. I got a meeting. I can't help. Busy. I got this thing going on. It's a good thing, God. You can't show up today. But if you live for the Lord, you live open-handed. You seek it. Say, God, I got this plan. But if you cancel it, guess what? All right. We'll move on to the next thing. Allow him to lead you and guide you. He wants to be with you step by step, day by day, guiding and directing your life. You see, we think that if we surrender to God wholeheartedly, that for some reason we're going to be miserable. But it's the exact opposite. Living for God is the key to a successful life. To not the American dream life. We've just talked about that. But to living a life with purpose and meaning and satisfaction and peace. Those things you want, those things you desire, they come from Jesus Christ. But throughout scripture we see that the messes people make 
It's because they ignore God's will, not because they follow it. I bet you the, the greatest regret you have in life comes from an area of your life you chose to disobey God. You chose to ignore him. You haven't regretted ever following him, doing what he's asked. Well, I mean, even if it was hard, you don't regret that. Living for God is the only way to have your best life possible. And don't allow retirement and the golf courses or the beaches or whatever else we fill our plans with. Don't let that comfort stop you from truly living for Jesus Christ. And so when you plan your life, are you asking him? Are you open-handedly saying, God, here's my schedule today. Do what you want with it. When you plan those golf trips, are you taking them with you? When you go shopping, think about when was the last time you took God shopping? I was thinking about this week, right? I was like, man, what if we just said, God, all right, come in the store with me and you help discern whether or not I should buy it today. Some of us are like, yeah, you need to, my wife needs to pray that prayer every single day. That's exactly what we're going to start working on. We're going to make it spiritual. No, but seriously, when was the last time you asked the Lord and really said, hey, Lord, is this the right thing to do? Should we spend this? Should we use this? We don't really want to ask, though, do we? So live for the Lord. And all I want you to do this week is really think about, look at your week and look at your plans. Are you involved in the things of the Lord? Are you involved in ministry? Are you involved in serving? Are you making worship a priority? The simple things, folks. Are we serious about living for the Lord? And then spend for the Lord. This isn't a sermon on giving, but this is a sermon that reminds us all to be aware of what we do spend our money on. Every single one of us should be intentional about being generous. Generosity should be the hallmark of every single Christian because it was the hallmark of the early Christians. They turned the world upside down because of generosity. We can still do it today. We should spend for the Lord. I know overspending is a problem. We talk about that a lot, but so is hoarding. Hoarding's a problem too. Give and spend for the Lord. One preacher said, what we keep, we lose. What we give to God, we keep, and he adds interest to it. So in closing, as we dealt with this section where James just rocks us all, because all of us want to plan for our plans. We all want comfort. James reminds us, listen, those aren't from, that's not from the Lord. So are you seeking God in your plans? Are you seeking God in his eternity? Are you becoming who he wants you to become? And all I ask you to do is, what are you really living for? What are your motives? What's really going on in here? I hope and pray that this week you think that through. That you make plans. You're intentional for the Lord. You look at your checkbook. You look at what you're doing with your finances. This is the season of generosity, isn't it, November? We think about how can we help others in need rather than buy another toy that they already have or don't need. And if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you haven't made that decision to go all in for Jesus, I just ask you, what are you waiting for? It's only in Jesus you're going to find true satisfaction. It's only in Jesus you're going to find true happiness and hope. So what are you really living for?
You can make that decision today. You can make that decision to truly commit and follow him. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time. We thank you for this time of worship, a day to celebrate baptisms. Lord, a day to take communion, to observe these things with you and with our people. Heavenly Father, we pray for our plans. We lift up all that we have planned in the busyness of life, Lord. The choices we all have. And I pray that you break through in our plans and our priorities. I pray that you speak to every one of us and help us discern what it is you need us to do. What's that next step of faith for us? We often live distracted lives. Allow us to draw near to you, Lord, and we know you'll draw near to us. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for his sacrifice. We thank you so much for his death that brings us to you. That our sin is separated, Lord, but because of Jesus... Because of his sacrifice, he's atoned for our sin that we can be forgiven. Lord, we thank you for that. Father, help God and direct us. Help us be your people, living for your plans and your purposes. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.